Hi, this is Eli Nelson, and this is the My City Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. It is our prayer that this message will awaken you to come alive in the things of Christ. Enjoy the message. Give the Lord a great clap offering. Magnify Him. The Bible says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice. Whoa! Yes, Lord. God is good. The devil's bad, but you and I, we win, right? You look fantastic this morning. Yeah, you can be seated. God bless you. So great to be here. I'm declaring over you blessing, recovery, restoration, revival. This church is going to grow. God didn't say, I'm going to build my church and then plan on having a dismal failure. He said, I will build my church. It's to be the most powerful organization in the entire world. And you and I can bind things on earth and they're bound in heaven. We can loose things on earth and they'll be loosed in heaven. God has given us authority. We can proclaim things and we're going to do that here today. So good to see you all. Some of you have been in like every meeting, like Tyler down here. He makes coffee for us all and keeps himself going because he has 17 cups a day, he told me. It's unbelievable. That's why he's so jittery when you meet with him. So good to be with your pastor and his wife. What heroes, what champions your pastor is. Love them. And uh, just a shame he cut his hair. You know, I, uh, I liked it when it was all long and I highly recognized him because he looks like 20 years younger. Probably what I should do, just cut it all off. How about these guys leading this church through one of the toughest times in its history, and they're still standing, and look at them, bright and shiny, praising God, not, not bitter, not sad, not, but still full of faith, and not just faith, but wisdom. I mean, you got to be smart to be able to take a church from, what was it, did you have 50,000 debt into 120,000? 120,000 debt, and then bring it over into the plus sign, and to have a million in the bank for a building, so you're ready to take it. And they, they didn't take money out of the building fund to pay off the debt, okay? So that's integrity right there. These guys are going to take this church on upwards and forwards into expansion. They're going to make it grow in Jesus' name. It's important in today's world that we, we trust the leaders to do the right thing. And, uh, and we, and as a movement, we keep accountability amongst all of our pastors, make sure they're standing up straight and uh, doing the right thing. And if they're not, we clip them around the ears in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's good to be here. See all your smiley faces. I don't know why this is so far back. But I'll just drag it forward. Amen. What a great day it was yesterday, huh? You know, team, you're so, so good. And uh, the band this morning, there you are, all bright and bushy-tailed, leading us in worship. Can that girl sing or what? Like, say thank you for being here at 6 o'clock when I was still asleep and you were doing your scales and helping all the band get together. Guys, uh, it is a pleasure to be here in Omaha when the weather is a little more appropriate. Uh, my God, it was cold last time I was here. I mean, my fingers fell off. I had to get a new set of fingers. It was just so freezing. My nose, I got a new nose. I've had a nose job. I've had everything. You know, like, just, uh, it was, I, I don't think I've ever been in weather that cold. And then I arrived here the other day, and I melted. 
I had to get myself off the pavement again. It's so hot. And uh, apparently it cooled down after I arrived. And as soon as I leave, it's going to heat up again for you folk. Amen. So thank you for dialing down the thermostat just uh, while I'm here. And I'm so proud of you getting into this building. Like the last, when, when I was here last time, it was, like, I got to tell you, the reason I was here the last time was because I was due to go to Atlanta. We have a great church in Atlanta. But you know what? There was the threat of snow. They said it might snow, so we're not going to have church. Can you believe it? Wimps. They're just, what are they made of down there? I thought Atlantis were tough, but Omaha, like you have, you have church when it's blizzard. I, and so they rang up and they said, do you guys, are you guys having church? I said, yeah. Well, do you want, do you want to have Miss Pringle come over? They said, absolutely. So I arrived and there was icicles on the wheels and, and all, the, all the air attendants had icicles coming off them. It was freezing, really cold. But anyway, you still had church. And, uh, and we were in that little hallway by the stadium. Kind of you had to look around the corner to see the rest of the congregation. It was fun. But this is how much better is this? Like, thank you, Jesus. Amen. And you got to tell your neighbors you don't have to walk your kids over three blocks to get them to, to children's church. You know, they're right just out there and we're looking after them. So, guys, it is, it's a delight to be with you. I want to tell you about a, a conference we've got in, in next year, in May, in Singapore. I'd love you to come. If you're able to. I mean, I don't think a lot of Omaharians, Omanians, how do you say the plural of an Omaha person? Armenians, no. That's another country. Omahanians, right, okay. Omanians, amen. But there's a thing called the outpouring. And so we'd love you to come. And the reason I've called it the outpouring like, we're going to have people from all over the world there, from 60 different nations, at least. That's how many nations we are in at present. So by that time, we could be like 70. We're planning 45 churches in the next 12 months. So, yeah, yeah, and you could be some of those. And so whenever a conglomerate of different nations comes together, it's important that we arrange for not just teaching, but moments where we will encounter the living presence of God. And so that's what I am anticipating will happen at that, that conference. It's going to be absolutely awesome. Your pastors will be down there with all their team, I know. And, uh, well, some of them, if they behave themselves, and uh, it'll be good. I also want to let you know about <clears throat> a book I wrote uh, a couple of years ago called Disciple. Uh, and this book is important, and the reason I want to just talk briefly about it is because uh, it's like, uh, it's important because I think that during the pandemic, it showed how many Christians whose life was dependent on church for their rhythm of Christianity. And it, when as soon as the pandemic hit and you couldn't go to church or the prayer meeting or anything else, it's like Christians lost their Christianity. They just kind of played with it a little bit on Sunday morning online and, and then it it kind of wasn't like they're witnessing or praying or, or into God because, and I, it, it made me concerned that we were not creating Christians, but churchians. And we're preaching churchianity and not Christianity. It's like if you come to church, everything's all right. But we know that you can put a skateboard in a garage and it doesn't make it a car. 
And so, and so you can have people coming to church, but they're not actually living a disciple's life. And they can say all the right things, do all the right things, but you and I know that that's not always what you see is actually happening in people's lives. So before I'm anything, I'm a disciple, which means I live by disciplines, not by feelings. I live by principles and, and objective, absolute truth rather than my internal feelings. So I've got a, a compass out here that keeps me pointed north, and I commit myself to live by that whether I want to or not, whether I feel like it or not, whether I've got tons of people telling me I shouldn't do it. That's what I've committed to, and his name is Jesus, and I'm, I'm his disciple, which means in this world, which has said feelings rule, baby, what you feel like you are, you are, that ain't true, you know, because our feelings are so fickle and fragile. Today I'm one thing, tomorrow I'm another because of my feelings. It is a dangerous idea to hook your destiny up to what you're feeling. You hook your destiny up to an objective truth, which is your compass point, and feelings will follow. And once you're on that, on that pathway with boundaries, so you don't do this and you don't do that because you made, you made commitments, I'm staying on this path, even though you want to do that and, and you, you don't want to stay here, you, you do it because you've committed. That's a disciple. And I was concerned, I get concerned about a, a kind of a Christianity that preaches, God's going to make you famous. God's going to give you everything you want. God's going to fulfill your dreams. God's got a great plan for you. I go like, yeah, yeah, kind of. I'm into it. Yeah, but he's, he's not just there for me. I'm meant to be here for him. And he's not like Santa Claus. He's not like your fairy godmother who's going to wave a wand and magically make all life work out for you. He will set you a pathway that will have its consequences, which are going to be blessed. And, and as you decide to live like that, life will work for you. But if we're always waiting for God to, I mean, we're stuck at the cross sometimes. I, I'm into, I love the cross. I'm all about Jesus dying for me, and that's awesome. But i got to get beyond that. He's my Savior, yeah, but i got to make him Lord of my life. So he's not just saving me all the time, but he's actually modifying my lifestyle. So I am, I'm getting in line with what him being my boss is. I'm, I'm his servant. I'm his slave. I, am, I don't have my life anymore. When people say, get a life, I say, no, nah, I lost it. Once I was lost, now I'm really lost. Yeah, I'm, I'm lost. To, I've lost my life. I don't have one. And I've got to tell you, at my age, which, you know, I'm going to leave you to guess that. But, but at my age, I remember 50 years ago saying, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. And I get to here and I think, flip, I kind of did. You know, it's, it's like I just stuck with it. Just, yeah, that, and out of that comes... All the things that God wants for you. And I would say that about half of following Jesus has really not been that wonderful. It's, it's like, do you ever use the word sucks here? You know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I know I'm in church, but, I, but it's just, it, it's painful. I go like, Jesus, I don't know if I really like this whole thing of following you. Is this good? Good. Because... Part of following Jesus is suffering. It's painful. And if you, if you have been sold a gospel that says it's just going to be beautiful, oh, God saved you, you, you've been sold a wrong gospel. It's not Disneyland, people. 
There's going to be some painful moments following Jesus Christ, but they're the making of you. You, you walk three yards with pain, she'll teach you far more than 100 miles with laughter. And, and the thing is, when you learn to let life's painful moments form you rather than defeat you, God sends you trials not to defeat you, but to help you become an overcomer. You, you cannot be an overcomer if you've got nothing to overcome. And some of you are fighting battles right now, and God's going to help you. Actually, find Jesus on the inside, that conqueror, and you'll beat it. And we sing about it. You know, I'm going to fight my battles. But actually do it. In your head, in your heart, in your relationships, learn how to fight for the good. Stand up on the inside. So, amen. I'm going to start preaching now. And... Uh, this message is, is kind of like one of my most favorite subjects to, to talk about. And um, just before I do, I wanted to also, besides that book, help me on social media by subscribing to one of my platforms. I gave our church away uh, like 18 months ago. And one of the things I missed the most was having my own pulpit. Uh, and, and I respect this pulpit is... Pastor Eli's and Kelly's, and they're able to feed you and guide you and bring wisdom to you from this, this point. I come in, and I know they say, like, it's your pulpit, and, but, but I respect that this, this house has got its own pastor. I am pastoring them, leading them, but, but I need to have a situation that I'm speaking. And so I am on social media, on a bunch of different platforms, and it's, it's going reasonably well. The other day, I got 1.3 million views on. So I've never preached to a million people before, and so it's working. And, and you can help us get in there. I'd like to get a, another 100 preachers in there because it's dark in that internet space. And instead of just sitting back and complaining and pointing the finger, I want to get in there and shine the light and say, hey, we're here with a message that you can understand. So, amen, I appreciate that. So, this message is a combination of some of those things that we've been talking about so far. So I'm going to start at Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, where Jesus has risen from the dead, Tyler, and he's saying, go, okay? He's saying, go. The Christian life is a moving life. It's got momentum. If we're stagnant and just treading water, not really putting our hands up, to do anything in church and just sitting there. And, and I, love, I love this building. The one thing is about these seats, though. Like, we have church in a thousand different one, you know, like venues. And a lot of them are movies. And they're great venues, big screen, everything, except the seats. Because people sit back in them. They're just so comfortable, Right? And that's why they had wooden pews in old churches. You can never get comfortable. So when I sit in these seats, I sit out on the edge. I don't, I don't like getting back because I, I go to casual land and, you know, and sort of I'm not engaging. So, so make the effort for 30 minutes to engage. Say, you know, I'm going I'm to get this. Because I, and in our church, I always taught front-footed worship. Even when you're worshiping, lean on your front foot. Like rather than the sitting back, ah, oh, praise God. You know, actually get aggressive and with the musicians and with everybody. And if a whole church is front-footed, 
They've actually got that go in them. They're ready. They go. And I like the word go here because it's two-thirds of God's name. And so he's, he's a go God. Go, go, therefore, make disciples. So remember, the disciples are made, not born. You know, so people get born again, but that's only the beginning. From then on, we get involved in making them into disciples. So, so that's like, okay, uh, as a pastor, I can be praying, God, give me a youth leader. You know, and I'm thinking of somebody from outside coming in, but God says, no, there's, there's one right in front of you. And I go like, there's one right in front of me? All I see are lumpy people. He said, they're lumps of clay. So you've prayed for a pot, I've given you clay. And that's, that's how God wants you to participate in the formation of people's lives. And so, so I mean, I, I want a tree. I go down a Home Depot or wherever you buy plants and stuff. In, in Sydney, it's Bunnings. So you go down to Bunnings and you buy, because you see this packet that's got a tree on it. You think, oh, I'm going to buy it. And you take it home. You open it up, and you think, I've been ripped off. There's no tree in here. But of course there is. It's in the seed. So God gives you, you pray for a tree, and God gives you a seed. And you're involved in the nurturing and the growing and the developing of that person as a pastor, as a connect group leader, as another Christian. The way you water other people. Not just sitting in church waiting for something to happen to you, but actually you'll find blessing somebody else will bring you into that, into that place of being blessed. So he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk about just one of those baptisms today. Because he's saying there's three baptisms, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You got to, it's not three baptisms, it's being baptized in three arenas. So the Son and the Holy Spirit are phenomenal subjects that we could talk at length on. But I want to concentrate on the Father. And the word baptism there is an, is an anglicized word. The translators of the New Testament, when they were translating it from the Latin, they were creating the King James Version because King James wanted his own version of the Bible. And he authorized these, these 70 guys to, who were bishops to translate the Scriptures. So as they're translating, they realize that the word bapto Latin word means to immerse. And to immerse means to soak so that you actually transform a white handkerchief into a red one because it's in red dye. It's immersed, completely transformed. And then they realized that King James was not immersed. He was sprinkled because sprinkling had become the, the means of baptism as a child, not as an adult. And they realized that the head of the church was not baptized. He wasn't a real Christian. So they went, oh, what are we going to do? So they said, let's not just translate it. Let's just make it an English word. So they made it baptism. So nobody knew the difference. Now, I know it's a lot of talk about one little point, but it's kind of important because you are, you are not going to find yourself living for Christ if you've just got a sprinkling of Christianity. If you've got a sprinkling of the Father, a sprinkling of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be empowered. You need to be immersed. 
It's a 100% immersion experience that God wants for you. And so when we come to the baptism into the Father, a father has a house. There's one thing a father provides. It's a house with a table and food, shelter and protection for his children. That's this, the church. And so when he's saying baptize people, you're going to make disciples by baptizing them, immersing them in the life of the church. Not just a sprinkling of church life. Not just attend like Christmas and Easter or once every two months or something like that. Or, yeah, I go to that church. You know, it's actually an immersion into a set of relationships where you are joined and knit together, Paul says. So it's like my thumb. It's kind of joined and knit to my arm, which is my elbows, joined and knit to like a body. So when I got up this morning, I said, I'm going to church. And my legs said, no, I'm not going. And I'm dragging it along off the church, you know. Any resemblance to a person you know is, is purely incidental. But it's like, God, I'm, you know, this leg just never likes going to church. When I say, hand, I want you to grip the microphone. The thumb goes, no, I don't want to grip the microphone. I say, you're coming, buddy, whether you like it or not. Oh, right, because it's joined. So the whole hand works together. And we're not opposing that the thumb isn't arguing with the forefinger. Oh, you grip it this way, you grip it. It just knows how to grip. So we work in unity together, immersed into joints and ligaments and the body. And then we find the beautiful things. We find our, our purpose, our destiny, our gifting. Oh, what a great day when you're at the golf course and you go, bing, and you hit that ball in the middle of the club. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. You're thinking, nuts. But it's such a good feeling. Like you didn't even hit it, and you see it sailing away. That's called hitting the ball in the sweet spot of the club. When you hit it on the side, it jars all the way through your arms. You go, like your spine feels it. You go to the chiropractor after to get a click and a set. Because you hit it in the wrong space. And I see people that are just jarring all the way through their life. They're not in their sweet spot. And when this thumb... He's having such a blast here. He loves being in that, that position on my hand. Could you put him down as the big toe? He'd hate it. You try and make him a liver? No, ain't going to work. He's got his part in the body. You have too. And you will not feel that hum, that sweet spot, until you're actually joined in and moving in your gift as an activated member of the body of Christ as a part of the church that's actually reaching this world for Jesus. Every single one in this room has a gift. And as, as Pastor Eli and Kelly decide how to mobilize this army of believers in the house, you have a part to play. And so it's like not just having some volunteers in the church. Every single one of us should be able to identify, that's what I do. I'm part of a body. I'm part of a, an army to do this thing. So... Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to build my church in Matthew 16, uh, verse 18. And he says, the gates of hell have got not a chance against the church that I built. So understand this. The church grows in a climate of war, opposition, scandal, internal opposition, fighting. When all this stuff is happening, the church is going to grow. It doesn't, it doesn't grow when everything's just comfortable and easy and nice. So you need to be battle ready. 
all the time with praise, worship, prayer, in the Word, have a level of the Word up here so that you're equal to anything you're facing. So you're a soldier in an army because you will find that if you're part of the body of Christ and part of a church that is doing something, there's going to be opposition. But that makes you a fish that's swimming upstream. Only dead fish float downstream. And when you're alive, you'll find that the, the, the wash of the waves against you creates a color in you that nothing else can. So Psalm 92 verse 13, talking about this planting, this commitment to being in the house of God. It says, those who are planted in the house of God shall flourish in the courts of God. That means you're going to thrive. Not just survive, but thrive. Be your best. Be fruitful. Because you're planted in this house. Like in, in, in our house, it was never, there was never the statement on a Sunday morning, shall we go to church? We go to church just like we eat breakfast. We just, we're in church, baby. That's Sunday morning. That's how we live. And our kids did it. We didn't, we didn't say, shall we tithe this week? It's not a question. I got an automatic debit on my bank account. It goes out. I got an automatic debit on my vision building fund. It goes out. Whatever else is left in my pocket, I want to be a giver. I want to be a contributor, not a consumer. I want to be a giver, not a taker. And, and let me tell you this, one of the greatest evidences that you have met Jesus is that you have been transformed from a taker to a giver. It's the signature of God in your life. Zacchaeus just wanted to take, take, take by defrauding people, by stealing from them, by every which means he wanted to be a taker. As soon as he met Jesus, he became a giver. And, and not just an ordinary giver, he gave huge. It's four times that I've taken away, I'm going to repay and all the poor people in town, I'm going to give the rest of my goods to. So there was, he was knocking on the door of every person in Jericho. And Jericho had a revival. Because they, look, uh, I, I know I took some taxes off you last week. I, I was meant to only take you know, a couple of thousand. But I, I, I took a lot more. So here's 20,000 back. They're going, what? And then the poor people saying, look, you're struggling. Yeah, I, Listen, what's happened to you, Zacchaeus? I met Jesus. Jesus will transform you from a taker to a giver in a second. And it's evidence. If I'm still a taker, i got to ask myself, have I really been born again? You know, am I really a new creation that I'm still wanting to get rather than give? And so being a giver is part of being planted in the house of God and they're flourishing before God. What I have found is that some, some of us have been wounded in church life. We've been a bit, bit traumatized, but, you know, like rejected or whatever. And so we kind of get protective with our, our root system, what we're going to plug into. We, we kind of got to, and, and for some, it's, it's permanent. It's a situation that they got, not like a pot plant, not like a plant in the house of God, but a pot plant. So they've got a, a wall around their root system. They're not really getting involved in anybody else's life. Just attend, come in late, leave early, and just creep around the edges of the church. And Because whatever, often it's very genuine reasons of wounding, stuff like that. And look, personally, I'm a pastor. I've walked with many people through that.
But I also feel for people who've been wounded. And I'm sorry. I apologize for whatever the church might have done for you or to you that has, that has created a wounding. But I pray that you'd be able to find a way to say, okay, I'm going to forgive and move on. I'm not going to get stuck in my past. So, so when, we, when we've got this pot around us, we're kind of sitting there thinking, oh, I don't know if I trust this. Story. I don't know if I trust these people. What's a pastor doing with his life? What's they doing with the money? And, and, and yeah, oh, there's something wrong. I'm going to pick it up. I'm on my way. And they take their pot to another church and just sit there. And, oh, I want to worship. I want to get free. But one day, you've got to be prepared to break that pot, friend, and let your roots just go in and say, I'm going to get planted here. Because I can tell you, you're not going to find a church without a problem. You're not going to find a perfect church. Or you, if you do, don't join it because you'll mess it up. <laughs> None of us are perfect. None of us have got it together. And I might be pretty good today, but I might have a bad day. I might have a, you know, a funny day, a squirrely day where I need a bit of grace. I mean, I'm, I'm in the church. Everybody needs grace, which is wriggle room, room to make a mistake and you're still okay. Room to fall over and, and we're still going to love you. I mean, there's the EGR crowd, extra grace required. Uh, the, and, and, and we do. We just extend it. That's the grace of God in, in the community of God's people. That's, that's for sure. We are all family and every family's got a crazy uncle. So, so the deal is all of us have to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We've all got to move in, in that spirit of God. So... This next, this next psalm that I'm talking about, Psalm 90, 84, I'm sorry, 84 verse 1 is like, it's got to be my most favorite psalm that, uh, that, that I would ever preach in our church in Sydney uh, because I just love the whole journey of this. It's a long psalm. We won't get through it all here today. We might get through a decent amount of it, but... It is in here, it says in Psalm 84, to the chief musician on an instrument of Gath, a psalm of the sons of Korah. This is the, this is the introduction. It's not actually scripture. It's just describing. But it, it tells us that this is not a lightweight psalm. This is a psalm with substance. It's significant. So he says to the, to the chief musician on an instrument of Gath, means we, we're going to take instruments from the world and we're going to use them to glorify God and defeat the devil. These weren't instruments from Zion. The, Goliath was from Gath. Gath was one of the Philistine towns. When we started our church, like 42 years ago in Sydney, we only had like 13 people, but I had some revolutionary ideas about church life. I, I believed you could have one of these instead of an organ. And, and organs were the most sanctified instruments you could have. But when they were introduced into the church, there was opposition to them. John Knox called them the devil's whistles. That was an organ. But then I had one of these, and I had drums. And, these, and then I had electric guitars. These were all considered of the devil. There were preachers preaching rock and rollers of the devil. You know, like backmasking, you played records backwards and you'd hear satanic chants and stuff. You know, they, they were, it was 
full on. And, and so I had all these guys who played in pubs on Saturday night. You know, like people said, how can you have musicians who are playing for the devil on Saturday night and come and play for God on Sunday morning? It's just not right. But I said, well, what, does a Christian plumber, when he's fixing up an unbeliever's toilet, is he serving the devil, you know, fixing up an unbeliever's toilet or whatever? It's just the skill. It's just an, And so these guys, we had the best musicians in town, and we had great praise and worship. These guys were dedicated to God. I had one pianist who was playing in a casino, and he, he actually was my chief musician. He would play in a casino on, on uh, Friday nights, and, he's, and, and sometimes I'd ring him up and we'd talk. He'd say, you, got, you wouldn't believe this, Pastor Phil. Uh, there's so many drunk people in here. And, and uh, he says, I got, there's, there's a woman over here. She's just kind of sitting next to the piano, and it's, it's just like, and he says, I want, I want you to listen to me playing in here. And he's playing the song, and he's singing in tongues. He says, nobody understands what I'm singing. They don't know. I'm praising God in the middle of the casino, worshiping Jesus, and I'm bringing glory to God. You know, and I'm trying to help these people feel the presence of God. Your light shines in the darkness, people. Amen. We, we, we don't want to think that we can, we can just be hiding away in church and our light is shining. It shines when we're out there. and We're actually joyful in the in the midst of a lot of sadness. So the next part of this is it says, it's a psalm of the sons of Korah. So Korah were the pastors. Korah, with the tribe of Korah, they prepared the bread for the tabernacle and they oversaw some of the praise and worship and they were gatekeepers in the house of God. And their children were writing the psalm. So guys, I'm just talking to us old guys right now. When, when we see young people up here, and they're doing stuff that we think, oh, I'm not sure about this. You know, this new thing. It's too noisy, and they're loud, and they've got smoke, and it's dark, and there's no lights. I mean, you can get real critical of the next generation, but they're there praising God. They're in church. They're worshiping. Sometimes they're going to do crazy dances. Sometimes they're going to do crazy things. might even be mistakes. But we need to be there shouting them on, saying, come on, yeah, you're doing great. We love having the kids in the house of God, worshiping, praising, giving glory to God. We don't want to be Saul throwing spears at David. We don't want to be the previous move of God persecuting the next move. And when the Holy Spirit fell, it fell on a bunch of teenagers, people. Peter was 19. John was like 22. All these disciples that Jesus had been walking with, they were just out of teenagerhood. They were young adults. So it wasn't like, like, wow, these are old guys. They were just young people. And, and God is wanting you and I to be the boosters of young people as they get going. How good is it when your kids love church? If you love church, your kids will love church. If you criticize church at home, your kids won't come. As a pastor, I've seen it a hundred times. I can't get my kids to church. I know why. Because you talk about church when you go home. You hate church. You hate the pastor. No, I don't. Well, you talk like you do. And you're critical. Well, it's got an opinion that's negative. And, and I say, you've got to change that so you love church. You go home and say, that was a great sermon. Such a good, what did you get out of it, kids? Got this and I got that. 
what's your own thoughts about it, kids? And they learn to love what you love. And so Cora and them love, love church, and so their kids did. Because the first words they say is, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. Basically, the first words are, I love church. Because then they say, My soul longs, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh out cry, cry out for God. Their kids say, We want to go to church. When our kids were little, the worst punishment we could, we could threaten them with was you're not going to go to church tomorrow. <laughs> We're going to keep you away from youth group. They go, no, no. So that was cool because they felt they loved it so much with all the other kids. Being in a bunch of joyful, liberated people. I mean, my Lord, you need to have a joyful praise, a joyful worship, a joyful house. and Your kids will love it. But I got to tell you, the house is, is beautiful. Not because of its architecture, but because of the God of the house. If God is present, He makes any place beautiful. And when we worship and we praise, we don't just watch the show on the stage, but we engage. And we say, yeah, let's worship. Let's praise. And you'll find that God is invoked into worship. God comes when we praise. You draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. So they say, my soul longs, even faints for the house of God. This is my last verse in Genesis 28, 17. Jacob was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. When you come into the house of God, you come into a gate that takes you into heaven. And in worship, if we engage, we will find ourselves at another level of consciousness where we are aware of heaven. And that is what the church is meant to be, an outpost of heaven, so that we breathe heaven's air. We're citizens of that place so that we get that air coming into our lungs and we start to feel the heavenly life coming to earth. And people around us can feel it. When Jacob came to that place and laid down, he had a dream and he saw angels ascending and descending. That's what the church is, a place where prayers are given and answered, where dreams are born, where dreams are fulfilled. It says a little later on in the psalm, even the sparrow has found a home, a place where she may lay her young. It's like even the most insignificant of us, the most unnoticed people, you can find a dream, a dream birthing place in the house of God where your eggs can be laid in and incubated and brought to life. So Jacob, when he came to this place, it was actually called Luz, L-U-Z, but he renamed it Bethel, house of God. The word luz means tree of nuts. When people come into the church and you're worshiping unapologetically, not trying to please everybody by being low-level worshipers or not doing anything like that, when we try to be inoffensive because we're afraid people will think we're nuts, we miss bringing God. But a lot of people will come into a church like this and think, oh, these, these guys are nuts. But when they encounter God, they'll say, whoa, this isn't a tree of nuts. This is the house of God. I can feel God here. I've had people come into church and fall down just being in the atmosphere. 
food. I was in a conference in Holland that I was asked to speak in for five nights. And I stood up on the first night, and we were having a particularly powerful move of God in Australia, and that's why they'd asked me to go. And, and we had long meetings, big revivals happening in our, in our place. But a lot of it was just people falling over. So when I stood up in this conference in Holland, people went boom, 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 fell all over, all over the place. The cameraman who was filming me, he went like that, straight back. The bass guy fell over. A few of the people in the, in the, in the band fell over. And it was crazy. But they, there were people there who hated it. They thought it was the devil. And they left the conference. And they, the, Half the band left the conference because they, they thought, oh, we, we, don't, we don't understand this. This is just crazy. But then gradually, as the week went on, they started coming back. The power of God hit them. We had a huge revival through that place in, in Debron. The fact is, when we first encounter God, it can be nervy. Whoa, I don't know about this. But if you stay open, not just to hearing about Him, the message, I actually said, you know what? I can taste, I can taste the presence of the Lord in this place. And I want God. I'm, my heart is panting, hungering for the Lord. My soul longs, even faints courts of God because there are you were built fellowship with him you're built to walk through this life with him we're, we're, when we haven't got him there we're lost, we don't know what to do we're struggling with ourselves but when he's there he's your guide, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you're with me when you know God is with you, nothing Nothing can defeat you. You might have some pain. You might fall over, but you ultimately will get up again. You ultimately will make it through because He's there in your world. Some of you might not have ever begun the journey of walking with Jesus. So today, as I come to a close, I'm going to ask you if you'd like to start that journey by asking Him into your life. So in a couple moments, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and we'll pray for you. There could be some here who've been away from God. I want you to come back to Him today. I want you to make that decision. I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to start again. So I want you also, when I ask, to raise your hand. There, there may be some of you who are just not sure. Like you come to church, but you're not sure if you're going to heaven. I hope you are. I think you are. That assurance from the Holy Spirit, it's not from a counselor or somebody telling you or a pastor. It's in here. You know. If you haven't got that, I want you to make sure you're here today. Just raise your hand when I ask. So can I ask everybody to close your eyes right across the, right across the auditorium? And if you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, then right now, my friend, wherever you are in a couple seconds, and ask you to raise your hand. Or if you've been away from God and you're coming back, I want you also to do that. If you're not sure you're going to heaven, I want you also. So right now, if that's you, would you put your hand up in the air? Just raise it high. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. Five, six, seven, eight. Who else is there? Raise your hand. Say, that's me, Pastor. I want Jesus in my life. I want to make sure. Thank you. I see your hand over the side there. Thank you. Who else is there? 
If there's one more person, thanks, buddy. I see your hand. If there's one more person, please raise it right now. Just say, yeah, I got to make sure. I got to come to Christ. Thanks, down the back. I see your hand. If there's one more, please raise it. And we'll pray for you. Thanks, I see your hand. Okay, guys, can I ask you to look this way? Um, I, I would really like to meet those guys who raise their hands. And I know we don't always do this, but when we all stand in a couple seconds, I'd like you to step out of your seat, come down the front here. I want to shake your hand and pray for you. And, and just pray that God will really make himself real to you. Can we all stand? And as we stand, just come, just come. Those guys who raise their hands, just come. Make your way down the front. We're not going to do anything weird. We're just going to pray for you. Just step out. Yeah, come, come, come. Give these guys a hand, would you? As they come. Just come over here. Just come over here so I can talk. Yeah, just come. Don't be afraid. Hey, man. Are you bringing him? Right. There were others who raised their hands. There's about 10 people who raised their hands. Please don't be embarrassed. Don't be afraid. Just come. Just come. Yeah, yeah. Don't be worried about people. Yeah, there are, there are others there. Anybody else who raised their hand? Just come. Just come. We're going to help you. Yeah. I'm going to wait just a couple seconds for you. It's too important to rush this moment. So if there's, if you've got a friend with you and they didn't raise their hand, just ask them. Say, come on, let's go. I just want to put my hand on your head and pray for you that God's Spirit will fill your life with power from today. If there's one more person coming, yeah, just come. Are you coming? Yeah, don't be embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's probably a couple more. I'm going to pray, and if while I'm praying you want to come, just come right now. So, guys, Destiny. Is that your name? Yeah, I thought so. I made the mistake of thinking it was Jessica. From where I'm standing, it sounded like. And this is your Floyd. Is that Spanish or what is it? Italian? American? Yeah, it's American. Boy of Destiny. Are you, are you like not married yet? Planning? Not sure. Oh, this is a this is a really on the spot moment, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> First time. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, so nice to have you. So we're going to pray this prayer. And uh, maybe the congregation could help us. And uh, as I say these words, make sure you say them too. Hi. I don't know if I shook your hand. What's your name? Macy. Macy, like the store. Macy's. Good if you owned that store, right? Whew. 
What was your name again? I want you to make sure you say these words to God after me. It's your prayer. Now, mine's, let's, let's just close our eyes and we'll say these words to the Lord. Dear God in heaven, I ask Jesus Christ to come into my life. I ask to be born again. I repent from sin. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Make me your child. Help me follow you. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I renounce the devil. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, God, for saving me. Amen. Father, I pray that your hand touch this life, this young man's life. Holy Spirit, rest on them. Touch destiny. Father, what a beautiful plan you had for her life. I pray for Voy. Holy Spirit, touch him. Let them feel part of your kingdom today. The anointing comes on this young lady. Your presence in their hearts, in their lives, Father. You love them so much. They return and come back to you, Lord. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Fill them with the power. Touch. Proud of you, son. It's awesome. You okay? How was that? Was it all right? Painless, right? Do you feel like void? Do you feel like something happened then? Who's in your heart? The Lord. What's his other name? That's it. Jesus. <laughs> well said. Well, I'm so glad to meet you guys. This man is your pastor. Here, Pastor Eli. And Pastor Eli and his wife Kelly run this beautiful church. You're going to love it here. And if you already come, then that's great. If you don't, then make it your church. And uh, he will lead you into green pastures where you will thrive. In Jesus' name. God bless you, church. Thanks for having me here. It's been a delight and a pleasure. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If this message encouraged you, help us get the word out. Consider sharing it with a friend, rating, or subscribing. If you want to know more about our church, check out our website at mycitychurch.cc or our Instagram at mycitycentral. We look forward to sharing another encouraging word with you next week. God bless.